The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. Our reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 28, and verses 54 through 57. Hear God's word. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when He delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that He is accepted who put all things in subjection under him when all things are subjected to him then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that god may be all in all when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your victory O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I have my welcome to Chad's. I'm Brian Salter, one of the pastors here. And Easter morning greetings to all of you. What a delightful day to worship the Lord. And as we have already done, sing hallelujah for the great truth of the resurrection. This morning we look at Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. They did not believe that there was a resurrection. It affected everything about how they chose to live. We believe Christ is risen. It should affect everything about how we live. And let's pray that hearing the word this morning would do that. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you asking that your spirit would come now and attend to your word and allow it to be planted in hearts powerfully and fruitfully. Father, we ask that for those who belong to you, you would increase their faith, deepen their repentance, deepen their hope. And for those who do not yet know you or belong to you, that today they would meet you, the risen Lord, because of the word of God and the spirit of God at work. Come, Lord, speak. We need to hear from you on this resurrection day. In Christ's name, amen. Author Adam Golnar 
has written the book, The Immortality Financiers, Five Billionaires Who Want to Live Forever. It's a fascinating work that I read about this week. The book details the efforts of five particular billionaires who are seeking to remedy the problem of death. It seems that there's something about amassing more money than you could ever possibly use that naturally might make you want to stay alive longer, if not forever. When you're worth billions, you may be used to buying your way out of all sorts of things, and so why not death? Larry Ellison is the CEO of Oracle Corporation. He's the sixth richest person in the world. And he has set up a foundation dedicated to ending mortality. Contributions more than 40 million, he contributes more than $40 million per year to the cause of understanding lifespan, development processes, and age-related diseases and disabilities. And here's what he says. He says, death makes me very angry. It doesn't make any sense to me. Death has never made any sense to me. How can a person be there and just vanish? Just not be there. How can death be defeated? He asks. Well, I have some really, really good news this morning. Based on the authority of God through Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, death has been defeated. We speak today of the death of death. Not through wealth. Not through human innovation. No, death has been defeated through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this passage will aim our hearts this morning to three radical guarantees that the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings to us. And it is these three things. These are the three guarantees of the resurrection. We rise, Christ reigns, death dies. We rise, Christ reigns, death dies. First, we rise. When you hear that, your, answer, your question should be, who is we? Who is we? When you look at the text in verse 21, it says, for as by a man death came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. In Christ, those who are in Christ will rise and live forever. In Christ is perhaps the most important two-word phrase in the Bible. It is used over 150 times. Other phrases like united with Christ or hidden in Christ represent the same concept. And it's because the Bible speaks a truth about something that may be very foreign to us in an individualistic world, but it is called federal headship or another way to say it, corporate solidarity. You and I may understand solidarity through sports. 
if a team member that you're on scores a goal or incurs a penalty, the whole team is credited with the gain or made liable for the punishment. That's part of corporate solidarity. It's also why we say things like, we won. Those of us who never even played a play There's corporate solidarity that's bound up with watching the people, the team that I have aligned with. Matter of fact, one of the most well-known Bible stories, David and Goliath, it really is a story of corporate solidarity. All those who stand with David receive his victory and all those who stand with Goliath receive his loss. Corporate solidarity, federal headship. So team humanity. That's all of us. We function, according to the truth of the Bible, under corporate solidarity. We receive the record of our representative head. And here's the truth today. There are two representatives in this world. Only two. Adam or Christ. Adam or Christ, the world is shaped by those two representatives. In Adam, as we heard in verse 21, for as by a man came death, that's speaking of Adam. In Adam, we're perishing physically. And one day in Adam, we'll be dead decisively. But also in Adam, we're disconnected and dead spiritually. And if we die in Adam, we'll be dead spiritually left to judgment forever. That's the truth of the Bible. The important question is, how do you change representatives? How do you move from Adam to Christ? Because if I'm going to receive everything that my representative head gains, I want Jesus because he's alive. And he's conquered death. And he's given me a perfect righteousness and he's taken away the guilt of my sins. And so that's why Paul can say, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And this Easter morning, the key question that I would ask every one of us to ask is this, who's your representative? With whom do you have corporate solidarity? Is it only with Adam? Or are you in Christ? How do you get in Christ? By faith. A gift to believe. An illustration of the the magnitude, the power of what it means to be in Christ. Roy Shiner in his book, One Forever, describes our oneness with Jesus, being in Jesus with the analogy of plane travel. If you want, for instance, to get to Australia... Finding a flight to Sydney would be a good idea. It's the way. What relationship do you need to have with that plane, he asked. Well, it would be a very strange traveler who goes to Hartsfield Airport in Atlanta and finds the relevant 747 and then begins to sprint down the runway to follow the plane. That's not the relationship you need with the plane to get to Australia. It would also be a very strange traveler who stands 
awestruck from the lounge window, admiring the plane and its ability to fly to Australia, you're not going anywhere. If the traveler wants to get to Sydney, there's one relationship they must have with the plane. They need to be in it, not under it, not behind it, not inspired by it. They need to be in it. Why? Here's the truth. Because by being in the plane, whatever happens to the plane will also happen to you. We recently flew to Denver. The question was asked to me, did you get to Denver? And I said, the plane made it to Denver. In other words, what happened to the plane happened to us. Why? Because we were in it. That's the hope of resurrection in Jesus. To be in Christ, listen to this, says that whatever is true of him is true of us. He died, we died. He's raised, we will, we are raised. He is vindicated, we are vindicated. He is loved, we are loved, and so on. Jesus is not merely your example to follow to stand at the lounge window and admire him every now and then from afar. Jesus is not merely someone that you chase after to do what he does because ultimately you can't. Jesus is someone that you must be in. When you're in him, What's true of him is true of you. And that's why Paul can write this about who rises, we rise. Who is it? Verse 22, in Christ shall all be made alive. How does he further demonstrate this great truth and guarantee of our own resurrection? Well, he does it through an agricultural illustration, verse 20. But in Christ, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 23, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Understanding what it means to be in Christ, what's true of Christ is true of those who are in him. Now you begin to see it with a harvest, an agricultural metaphor, the first fruits. And you learn two things, something about certainty and something about timing of resurrection from this illustration. In Leviticus, it detailed the requirement to offer from the first part of your crop, you would offer the first fruits to God as a token of worship, but also as a, a hope, a, a longing for the harvest that was to follow. And what Paul is writing here is he's saying Christ is the first of many to be raised bodily after death. He's the first fruits, meaning there's a harvest to come. Who is that harvest? Those who are in Christ, we rise. If you go to the Beehive Geyser in the Upper Geyser Basin of Yellowstone National Park, and you want to see the geyser, there is an indicator that will first go off. And it's at that point when you see the little indicator sprouting that you should go get your friends and cameras and get ready. Because as sure as you can believe it, the geyser's following the indicator. It's the same with Jesus' resurrection. 
As sure as he is risen, we will rise. But here's the thing. This is the the turn of the Bible for so many that instead of God's people being raised at the end of history, one person, Jesus, is raised in the middle of history. And the unexpected thing is that this kingdom comes in two phases. He is risen, and as we'll see, he reigns. But when do we rise? Verse 23, at his coming. There is a timing difference between the first fruits and the harvest. They understood that. You waited. You waited between first fruits and harvest. We wait. But we do not wait with uncertainty. We wait with absolute certainty that we will rise because he is risen. The other guarantee of the resurrection of Christ is that Christ reigns. Verse 24, it says, then comes the end, what is coming, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And then Paul goes ahead as he's writing and says, but not God is subject to Jesus. And he goes into some theology there in 27, 28. I want us to really focus on the the guarantee of Christ's reign. Christ reigns. It is decisively established by the resurrection, but it inaugurates a process of victory that is not instantaneous. Because of the resurrection, our redemption is guaranteed because he reigns, but it is incomplete. Following his resurrection, verse 25 makes very clear, Jesus is Lord of the world. He is already ruling as king. And here is the purpose of his reign if you read verse 24. To destroy every rule and every authority and every power. Every rival of his kingdom will be, that word means annihilated, rendered idle, rendered null. All the threats that we see now with our eyes, the powers of this world, the rule of a seeming rule of evil, it will be rendered, destroyed, annihilated, null, and void. Christ reigns, he is risen, and every power will bend the knee. That is our absolute hope now. And the final enemy, death, verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You see, although the decisive victory was won by Christ on the cross, the enemies have not yet admitted defeat. They continue to fight what you might call a rear guard attack. But their destruction is is not in doubt. And here's the truth about Jesus' reign this morning. Yes, sin and death still deliver damage and sorrow. The, The reign of Jesus is not yet here in full. Death is defeated, but it's not yet gone. It will be. It still delivers damage and sorrow 
We're not naive about that. I'm like Larry Ellison. Death makes me angry. I agree with him. Death makes Jesus angry. Go to Lazarus' tomb. Death is not the way it's supposed to be. It does still remain, but that does not empty the promises of the resurrection. And yes, it is sometimes hard to believe that Christ reigns in the face of evil, in the face of powers at work. It is hard to believe, but by faith, we believe that one day, one day, this task will be full and the final enemy, death, will be defeated. As Revelation says, death will be thrown into hell. No more death. The world will be put back to rights. You may have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor, anti-Nazi dissident. He was caught, he was tried, he was condemned to be hanged. Matter of fact, he died 78 years to this day, April 9th, 1945. Here were his last recorded words to a fellow prisoner. This is the end, but for me, this is the beginning of life. This is the end, prisoner, I'm going to die. But for me, this is the beginning of life. That's the hope of resurrection. No fear in death. Death is not a wall. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, death's a door to eternal pleasures and life forever in the presence of risen Jesus. And you know what? If you believe that in Christ, you believe that truth, this may be the end, it seems, but for me, this is the beginning of life. And that'll change how you relate to cancer. It'll change how you relate to sorrows. It'll change how you relate to pain and death itself. In Christ, death is not a wall, but a door, a glorious door to a kingdom of life forever. A kingdom that as we will hear this morning is forever and ever and ever and ever. The guarantees of the resurrection, we rise, Christ reigns and last, death dies. Verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Paul here, as he goes on in 55 and 56, he just starts to taunt death. He just mocks death. He taunts it, knowing, yes, the general resurrection of all believers has not yet occurred, but Paul has this confident hope because of the first fruits and the harvest to come that the resurrection has removed all fear of death and it leads him just to taunt death. And you know, that's what we do when we worship. We protest against death. We, we mock and taunt death. You will not have the final say. You will not. You are not the victor. Christ is risen. Pastor Chad Scruggs at Covenant Presbyterian, a friend, a fellow pastor in the denomination, lost his daughter in the shooting. 
said that he and his wife couldn't even make it indoors. They fell in the grass. Hey, he asked, how, how, how am I ever gonna go back to church? How am I ever gonna go back to pastor? How are we gonna stay in this community? He shared this at her funeral. He says, at that moment I decided, no, I will arise and we will worship in that house because it is a protest against the evil that thinks it wins. Christ is risen. We worship today as an act of defiance, mockery against death. It may feel like it has the last word in Christ, it doesn't. Paul says, the sting, oh death, where's your victory? Oh death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the work of Jesus Christ, the sting of death has been removed. The word sting here denotes the bite of a a venomous animal or the sting of a, a scorpion's tail. Death with its poisonous fangs, if you encounter it in Adam. But if you encounter death in Christ, no sting, no poison. That's the good news. Christ himself has absorbed in his person the sting and the poison of death and he rose and conquered the grave and what's true of him is true of you. So you can mock death, no sting. The victory belongs to Christ. The late David Watson, an evangelist, would sometimes illustrate what happened when Jesus died by telling of a day when he was summoned to the garden by the terrified cries of his daughter. She was being pursued by an aggressive honeybee. He wrapped his arms around her and moments later she felt her father's body go tense and he let her go and say, you needn't worry now, darling. The honeybee has stung me and honeybees don't sting twice. You see, honeybees have special hooks on their stinger that keep it in the skin after they sting and the stinger's torn out of the bee's body as it tries to fly away and the the bee dies. The honeybee is disemboweled. The sting is gone. Why? Because it was taken by the one who she was hidden in. That's the hope of resurrection. For those in Christ hidden in him, death has lost its sting. Christ took the poisonous sting of death and death dies in Christ. Last Sunday night, I worshiped virtually with Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville on Palm Sunday evening. As they gathered for worship after a horrific week, they gathered to declare their hope, take of the Lord's table and believe in the face of tears. Fellow PCA pastor and friend, Britton Woods led the service. He's a close friend of the Scruggs family, the lead pastor there who lost a daughter. 
affectionately, very affectionately, because he knows the family. He gave this hope. And it was a hope that he gave to the little Scrug boys. He said, uh, one of the Scrug boys really knows how to get under my skin, Britton said. Britton said, you see, I'm an Alabama man. And he's a Tennessee boy. And almost every time he sees me, he says, Mr. Britton, Mr. Britton, how about we watch a replay of that Alabama-Tennessee game? Every time he sees him. And Britton said, if we were to watch it together, it would have scary moments for that Scruggs boy. Turnovers, missed opportunities, lead changes, but then he said this, yeah, it's got scary moments, but when you know how it ends, the scary moments lose their power. Isn't that true? We know how it ends. We rise, death dies. And every scary moment we may encounter in this world because of that truth, shall lose its power. Let's pray. We give you thanks for covering us, hiding us in you, being our head by faith. What is true of you is true of us who are in you by faith. We thank you. Many of us in this room have tasted the death of loved ones in this last year. We've tasted the sorrow of death somehow or the, the pending gloom of a death that seems near. Oh Lord, today would you lift up the hearts of all who are here with the hope that in Christ death dies. We thank you for the victory of your resurrection. May it shape everything about how we live. And we ask this in your name. Amen.